0: Albuquerque's macro-aggression, Eddie Aragon, The Rock of Talk. 606 in the 505 with more 411 here for your third hour. I am Eddie Aragon, The Rock of Talk, on AM 1600, KIDA, 93.7 FM, the web, the app, rockoftalk.com. Here with Greg Zanetti, Brigadier General and, uh, well, just overall good guy. And he's an advertiser here on this <laughs> radio station. And uh, we love having here. here, especially here on a late Friday afternoon, to enjoy all the good things and insights that he provides. Greg, how have you been? I haven't seen you a couple weeks.
1: I've been great. Really busy, and as you might guess, with everything that's going on in the markets, uh, there's just been a lot going on.
0: Interesting week in the markets, and uh, a little bit of a sell-off after the stimulus, but uh, nonetheless, uh, here we are. We stand, I think, in a pretty good uh, position uh, overall, and you're always advising people on uh, financial matters, but we're here to talk today about what's coming up here on Monday, uh, Monday, Tuesday. And no, folks, it's not Columbus Day or Indigenous Peoples Day. We're not going to talk about that. We're actually going to talk about the Supreme Court and totalitarianism. Now, we still don't know where we are in terms of the timeline, if it's going to be the 13th or the 19th, depending upon how everything is going, because some people have been infected, some senators have been infected um, by uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, so... uh, you know, nonetheless, we're going to uh, proceed as if uh, we're getting started uh, on this Monday. So let's talk about it.
1: Well, what I'd like to do is try to give your audience a, a different perspective on how to view the next you know, 25, 28 days coming up before the election. And we're all trained to view it through the lens of conservative versus liberal or left versus right. But I'm going to offer you another just another perspective and maybe use the Supreme Court hearings as, I don't know, the vehicle to do this. And so, Eddie, you and I have talked about this before. What politics is about, politics is about the pursuit and distribution of power, and politics represents the interests of the state. Meanwhile, economics is really about the individual, uh, and it's about the pursuit and distribution of wealth. And each of us is usually looking for, how can I take care of myself? How can I take care of my family? That's the economic pursuit. But there's a self-interest element to it. And I understand that politics and economics can mix. But those generally are the lanes that we go down. And the Supreme Court often sits as the referee between the power of the state versus the power of the individual. And so... As you look at these hearings that will come up for uh, Amy Coney Barrett, Mm -hmm. I want you to view it not through liberal or conservative lenses, but through the lens of is she a statist or is she for the rights of the individual?
0: Mm -hmm. And we're going to use the classical liberal interpretation for the use of the word liberal here, folks.
1: Right. And so, and you know what... And you know what a statist is. A statist is one who supports, in general, the state or the government, that they support a doctrine that says the political authority uh, is in most cases legitimate Mm -hmm. and should be upheld, and that government's interests can be far-reaching. And they can go into the social, the cultural, any part of life you can go into if you're a statist. Meanwhile... Someone who supports uh, an
0: example of that, you know, the, the, the government in my bedroom.
1: Exactly, exactly. Meanwhile, you know, a, a tr- a, someone who supports the individual, who believes more along the constitutional lines of the right of the individual, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, where the individual is important. They are the opposite of the status. right? And, and this is where, I would say, the classical liberals and conservatives get very tied up. For example, Judge Roberts. Uh, conservatives get so angry at Chief, Chief Justice John Roberts. Yeah. I think I've told this story before, but I've got a friend who's an attorney here in town, and his daughter was also an attorney who's now a judge out in Arizona. And when Judge Roberts was nominated in 2005, she did a 20-page paper that said, look, you guys, if you think you're getting a conservative on the bench, I'm just telling you, you're not. Oh,
0: wow, she was ahead of the curve.
1: Right, she said, you're getting a statist. He will uphold the power and the authority and the legitimacy of the state over the individual. And so, Mm. now, can you do that in conservative terms? Well, yeah, but now you're just drifting toward a conservative state versus a liberal state, but it's still statism. Mm -hmm. And so, if you look at his decisions ever since then, I mean, Eddie, you've seen it, and Kurt's conservatives go crazy. You know, he he changed on us. He went turncoat,
0: splits off at the wrong times.
1: Yeah, but but actually, he didn't. If you look back on his history, he is who he is. He's been a supporter of the state. So, what what does this have to do with the Supreme Court justice that's come, the, the vote that's coming up?
0: Are we in, going to interpret it in the same way that um, your friend did back in uh, uh, 2005? Right.
1: I would ask you to view it through that
0: lens. Okay. That That's interesting. Hearsay.
1: Is she a supporter of the state or is she the su- a supporter of individuals? And based on what I've read about her so far, and I haven't done the deep dive that you know, this judge out in Arizona did, but she is far more of a supporter of individual rights versus the strength of the
0: state. Now, before we get started on that, I know that there were some indications that she was very, very much for or in the affirmative for uh, dealing with some of these hardline policies that states like ours or New Jersey or Pennsylvania, uh, these uh, very rigid, uh, you know, scaling back uh, for the preservation of, of health. Do you know if there's anything to that uh, before we get started? Actually, I don't. Okay. So
1: it's a hole in my knowledge on that one. So, uh, But if you view it through that lens as we go forward, I think you'll have a better feel for how she will rule as we head toward this election. And you and I both know this. The election results in November are very likely. They are going to the courts. And people forget that 20 years ago, uh, Bush Gore.
0: Yeah, Pagan that, Chads.
1: That's right. That went back to the Supreme Court Four times, Eddie. Four times the Florida went back to the Supreme Court. The first vote was nine to nothing, Bush won. Well then they went back again and it was seven to two. Then they went back and it was I think the last two were both five to four and finally the court said enough. You know, Bush has won, this election is over. Well it's pretty easy to see how you could end up going there now. And so the the question is if you if we get to this point, do you want a Supreme Court that is going to rule based on the rule of law and more of a strict constitutional, these are what the rules say, or are we going to have a court that rules more in favor of kind of whatever it feels like at the time, this is a living, breathing document, we can right. make it say whatever we or want organic, to say. organic,
0: as uh, we oftentimes refer to it. Right.
1: And so when people say, well, look, it's going to come down 4-4 four, four, and Roberts is going to be on the 4 with the side of the liberals, you know, his record might actually kind of support that. So do we want to have, as we head toward this time of turmoil, uh, a court that stands on the rule of law or whatever the court says the law is? And I think those are the stakes that we have as we head into these hearings So now,
0: I don't know if people really understand the magnitude of what you're saying, but you're literally saying, without saying it, that the next justice, because of the 4-4 and the status versus, let's just call them the more market-oriented people, will make the determination on who the next president is.
1: I think that's very likely. And uh, you have articulated this very well over the last several weeks, that you can see this scenario playing out. And this is why it is... It is no holds bar. This is combat politics as we head toward the final few weeks. My
0: favorite, politics is a contact sport. Right. Uh, And there are no (laughs) friends in politics. People need to understand that uh, as well. We're here with uh, Greg Zanetti, Zanetti Financial. Uh, Very quickly, Greg, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Oh, My number is 250-3754 or just go to my website, zanettifinancial.com.
0: All right, so we do want to kind of give the overall breaching thing, which is – Totalitarianism, Supreme right. Court, and the totalitarianism. Right. No, Tell no, us about what that is.
1: Okay. Well, just quick definition. I mean, totalitarianism is basically it's a system of government that's so centralized and so dictatorial it requires citizens citizens have complete subservience to to the state. Now, what people don't realize this can go on the both the right or the left. You can have conservative totalitarian governments. And you can have very left-wing progressive totalitarian governments. And so let's articulate the different kinds of totalitarianism that are out there, though. And the tip of the hat to a guy named Jeffrey Tucker over at the American Institute for Economic Research, he kind of spelled this out, and it was, it was eye-opening for me. So there are really three steps that lead to totalitarianism. Uh, the first one is... You must be able, if you're a totalitarian, to articulate the enemy. You've got to have some vision of hell that if this continues, we're all going to die. We're all going to have this horrible thing happen to us. And we, we chosen few, must deal with you know, this, this enemy. We must crush it. It must be dealt with. That's step one. Step two is then you now offer your vision of the perfect world, the utopia. When we win, it will usher in you know, this wonderful life on the planet. And then the third part after the vision is, what's my plan to get to that vision? And what you'll find here is the common denominator with all totalitarian systems is that that plan involves the takeover of the society's most powerful institutions. And typically that's the power of the state. So again, step one, articulate your enemy, say he must be crushed. Offer your utopian vision, step two. Step three, then offer your plan on how to do that, which is typically to take over the levers of the power of government.
0: So I guess what you just said is the Democrats are totalitarians because um, uh, these three steps is exactly what they're pursuing. Sure. But I don't want to take away the punchline of this whole well, no. thing. Let's get into the details.
1: Well, a, you know, it's, it's a great segue. You can have it can morph in different ways. You can have the economic plan, which would be the classic is communism versus capitalism. Yep. Uh, the Soviets were very good at the capitalists are the enemy. They must be crushed. This is why, and they would spell it all out.
0: That's this 13 uh, years of just pounding it day yeah. after day uh, via right. the newspaper. Right.
1: And then once we have crushed them, then the communist utopia will be ushered in where we all share, where there's equal equality with everybody, and everybody is sharing everybody else's Wouldn't south. it be nice it, if wouldn't the Beach be Boys
0: nice? uh, said that?
1: And then step three, if only you will give us or we can take the reins of power, then we will be able to do this.
0: Revolution. Right.
1: Now, it, it doesn't have to be communism versus capitalism. You can have racism, and I mean real racism, not, not the made-up stuff. And, and at a are, we, are we talking like,
0: about ethnic cleansing?
1: Yeah, sure. Okay, so you spell out your enemy. Oh, that enemy over there doesn't look like us. You know, he's the enemy, she's the enemy, they, you know, that that kind of thinking. And it is prevalent around the world, and it's been prevalent since the time of man. I, mean, it, I don't know if you've ever traveled in Asia, Eddie, but a lot of Asians are the most racist people on the earth. On the earth.
0: Uh, Evan, <laughs> a little uh, side thing, uh, I've had some Asian friends, and they are uh, by far the most racist people towards yeah. uh, black people. And the other thing, uh, if you speak their language, it's the only way they will respect you. Right. So if you start to look at, at Asian, uh, particularly Chinese is what I'm speaking of, uh, they only respect you if you have a commando. You know, how's your Mandarin? How's your you know Cantonese? They You have to know their language.
1: Yeah, I went to Japan several times when I was in the army, and you get drunk with some of these guys. And oh, the, yeah. And the real reasons come in, the, it all comes out, you know, uh, the Koreans are this, and the Chinese are that, and you yeah. Americans smell bad, and you're barbarians, and... What? Meanwhile, the next morning, it's, oh, honorable Zanetti's on <laughs> you know, this kind of thing.
0: But, the respect up front, but uh, when the sake flowing, right? Sure. Or, or the whiskey, I mean, it's, it's all over. But,
1: but it's a human condition. I'm not picking on Asia. I mean, you, you'll see it in Africa, and it can be black on black, tribe on tribe. It, it, you know, it happens here in the United States. It happens in, in Europe. In Mexico, sure. And so racism, you, it's the same steps all right, they are the enemy, and so what's the solution? And the solution is almost always the same: with a racism totalitarian system. I, I call it the, the Jello theory. And have you ever seen those parfait glasses where they fill it with Jello, and the, and the bottom level is orange, and then the next level, you know, bright line is green, then the next level might be, you know, strawberry or red, or you know, anyway, you get up to yellow at the top. And the solution is this utopian society where there's no integration. You guys are over there. We're over here. There are hard lines in the middle. And when you try to integrate, it's like pouring all those jellos together. It just mushes it all to get all up, and it's a mess. And so how do you then get to their solution? And that's always the same. Either we kill you or <laughs> you go over there, we go over here, and maybe once in a while we can talk, but then you go back over here, we go back over there. But it's a different form of totalitarianism. Uh, You can have religious totalitarianism where they don't think like we think. They don't worship the same God we think. Uh, Therefore, they're the enemy. They must be crushed because of them. We're having all of our problems. And once they're gone, our utopian vision is we are all of the same mindset, same religion, same God, same everything, and all our problems will go away.
0: That sounds like that movie The Village uh, from M. Night Shyamalan.
1: Sure. And then how do you get there? Well, again, either the religion itself becomes the power of the state or the religion wants to co-opt the power of the state to enforce this religion religious doctrine. So it's another form of totalitarianism. But now that leads to the one we are to, having today, that is actually kind of rare, but it is a, I don't know what you call it, a medical or a, um, yeah, I guess you'd call it a medical totalitarianism, where there's some unseen enemy, a plague, a virus, and it's come upon us for some reason. You know, it might be a God-given reason. It might be because of you aren't wearing your mask. It might be because whatever it is, and therefore, in order for us to be free of this disease, this enemy, we must, again, employ the power of the state to get to this pathogen-free utopia. In the old days, you would see this with witch doctors. The witch doctor, you know, so, some disease would enter the tribe. Oh, well, you know, it's this and this and this, and it's for this reason that it's here. Just give me the power and I will eradicate this invisible foe, and I will crush it, and we will never have to worry about it again. But it's always the same pattern. The enemy is this. I can offer the utopian vision, just give me all the power. And so here we are today with COVID, and kind of this medical-slash-scientific totalitarianism was starting to grip. And as a guy as, I don't know, as innocuous as Fauci was out there promoting this thing. <laughs> And the left was more than willing to embrace it because they saw the potential. Hey, we can implement the power of the state through this medical-slash-scientific totalitarianism. You think it was that raw?
0: You think that the agenda was there when you... uh, You're not just talking... You're talking about probably the thinkers. uh, The thinkers. Yeah, the thinkers. Right.
1: And so Fauci was just going to be a tool. And if they could impose this power of the state over everybody using the virus as the as the enemy, which had to be crushed. Therefore, the power of the state had to expand. Once the state was powerful, they would just shove, of course, Fauci and that team out of the way, and success was achieved.
0: And not a bad package, I should say, uh, uh, General Zay, because when you look at this, uh, Fauci is a sort of an unassuming guy. Sure. He looks nerdy. Uh, you would right. definitely want someone bigger, stronger, more gruff to go ahead and attack him. And, uh, but he could be as, as autocratic, and he very much was, uh, with all his advice and uh, recommendations and his leak here and there. And he knew how he was smart enough to realize how it would all work out in the media. Right.
1: And, and so, again, as you're watching the hearings, and again, because this is going to manifest in the Supreme Court hearings, you're going to hear these ideologies leak out. And so for the communists... Uh, they will use words like exploitation or inequality or these types of things you always hear from from communists. If they're racist, you're going to hear, oh, you're going to hear about race theory. You're going to hear about, you know, national identity. You're going to hear about, you know, Black Lives Matter and this because that's the totalitarian lane they want to go down. If it's uh, religion, I mean, you're going to hear like the catchphrases, you know, of salvation or I don't know, that, that I can't think of any right now and there. But you get the idea. And so again, as you watch these hearings, look for the key phrases that identify what kind of totalitarianism lane do they want to go down, but it will always be the end result more power to the state. Now how do you know that you are heading toward totalitarianism? And what it has to do with is the politicization of everything, When we politicize everything. And so let me tell you a story from the old Soviet Union. A, uh, just a regular factory worker, just a regular Joe went in to work one day, and he talked to one of his coworkers, and he said, I had a very disturbing dream last night. I dreamt that Stalin died. And I can't tell you how much it bothered me that our leader just passed away. Well, his friend uh, went and told the authorities that about this dream. Well, the authorities came and arrested the guy for <laughs> saying that he was undermining the authority of Stalin and he was wishing ill on him and he was sent off to a gulag for 10 years. I mean, they, they call him, they actually had a name for it. They called him tenors. That's how often a 10-year sentence to the gulag was for something as innocent as having a dream. Well, when you politicize a dream, you really know you're in a totalitarian society. And so where are we today? Things that weren't supposed to be politicized and have never been politicized are now being politicized here. Uh, And you think about sport. I mean, when was it that the National Football League or NBA players or baseball players really got involved in politics? They didn't care. They just wanted to go out and play the game and entertain the fans, make a salary, and you know, break records. And there was an innocence to it. Well, clearly, sport has been politicized. Uh, think about corporate America. For decades, corporate America said so we don't want to get involved in politics. Our job is to sell deodorant or toothpaste or uh, engines or airplanes. But that's not our lane. We don't care who's in office Our purpose is to provide the best possible product at the lowest possible price because we're capitalists and we're going to build the economy of the nation. Well, clearly, that's not true anymore. I mean, you've seen what Nike is doing or what Gillette is doing or Microsoft or Amazon or Google. All those companies, all those high-tech firms have become highly politicized. Uh, Religion. I mean, for decades, religion was, look... Politics is that lane in the horizontal. Our lane is in the vertical. Our job is to teach you about salvation and God and spirituality and how you can be a better human being. Now, from the pulpits, certainly if you're on the left, it's become political theater. On the right, they're always terrified they're going to get in trouble, but you you see it over there, too. Science. Science was never politicized in the past. Nobody even thought of it like that. I, I don't think most scientists even registered to vote. They were so into their, their science. Now, I mean, everything that comes out has some political overtone to it that if you push for this cure or that cure or this treatment or that treatment, that somehow a Republican or a Democrat treatment or a left or a right, we've politicized science and of course, same with medicine. You get the idea. Anyway, the roots of totalitarianism are always the same, and it will manifest in the politicization. I can't learn how to say that word. When you politicize history, when you politicize every emotion, every reaction, uh, everything in your society has a political tone to it, you're, you're really operating under a totalitarian system. There's no freedom left where you can't even write a poem, where you can't even do a whimsical story.
0: You can't even play a sport. You can't even uh, dribble the basketball. Right. You can't, <laughs> right. It's everything.
1: Everything has a subtext. And if you try to find middle ground, you're held in suspicion. Oh, you've got an angle. What are you trying to do? You're trying to trick me. Well, no, really, i just trying to look for a way that we can cooperate and talk. When you reach the point where you're so far divided, it doesn't matter what you say or no matter how good your intentions are it's held as suspicious you're in a totalitarian system and if you think that reason will protect you <laughs> or that logic will carry the day uh, under these systems it doesn't and now of course we have these enforcement mechanisms via you know technology You know, the smartphone tracking.
0: Oh, yeah, (laughs) the uh, uh, contact tracing.
1: Sure. And so the whole idea now is people are are afraid to talk. what, What can you really say without being fearful like that Soviet worker was of even telling the dream about Stalin got him sent to a gulag? And so now you have a choice. You can either stay engaged like most human beings want to, but you're always on, on shifting sands. What can I say? What can I not say? Uh, I better make sure I'm on the right side so that I am not held as suspect because they might come to, to get me. And this is where you see all the virtue signaling.
0: Right. You've got hey, I'm on your team. Hey, hey, hey. Right. I'm on your team. I got the mask. Right. And,
1: and heaven forbid you slip up. Oh, my gosh. You better have an immediate apology. But think how fearful this is. Well, this isn't what the society was built to do. We were supposed to be a free society. We could say what you want and then go home and have dinner and, you know, go to sleep and not worry about being arrested or doxed, or outed or attacked. But this is what this is what it's coming to. Now.
0: Or losing your job or, you know, right. I don't know, losing your friends on Facebook. Right.
1: OK, so you can decide to go down that path or you can decide to retreat. Okay, I'm just not playing. I'm off of Facebook. I'm off of Twitter. I'm off. I'm just not going to say anything. Well, okay, but but most human beings can't live in isolation like that. Most of us need some human contact. Most of us need to bounce ideas off of others and to try to grow as a human being. <laughs> and that's very unnatural to try to retreat from everything to avoid a totalitarian regime. And actually, at some point you actually get to there, where even if you're a recluse, now you're held a suspect. So anyways, all this making sense.
0: Absolutely, and I love the word uh, zeitgeist, which <laughs> is uh, something that we're about to talk about uh, here. And I have to say, uh, there is a movie called The Zeitgeist, which uh, alluded to this type of thing 10 years ago and it had to do with uh, events forming, uh, making people so fearful about what's to come that they, fear, they f- feel like they have to join a side. Right. Uh, they letting the fear motivate people into that direction and then it allows other people to control you because you're looking for, well, we go to back to Maslow, you're looking for safety.
1: Right. And zeitgeist is a German word. It kind of breaks into two parts. Zeit is time and geist is uh, ghost or spirit. So zeitgeist is the spirit of the age. And, When the spirit of the age becomes oppressive, like we're starting to see now, and divisive, where there's no unity, where everyone is fearful of the state in some manner, shape, or form, you're in trouble as a society. And what it will lead to, it will lead to poverty. It will lead to division. It will lead to civil unrest and violence. This pattern has repeated throughout history over and over again, whether it's with the Romans or the French or actually even the British or the Russians, the Soviets. And now we're... I never thought we would see it here. But we're seeing more of it here. And then the question is then, um, how do you arrest it? How do you stop this? Is sort of the big question. And the answer to that is, we're back to a statist, or someone who supports the individual. And in the Constitution, it was very clear that they wanted the individual to have some power, that when the state got too big, these actually young men 250 years ago saw what would happen. And so here's, here's what the left tells you. Basically, they tell you, you as an individual have very little in the way of meaning in and of yourself. That if you are part of the group, well, now you have some purpose.
0: This is unlike uh, not unlike uh, gang mentality. Right. Um, you have no God. You have no belief. It is us. And your life has meaning because we give it meaning because you believe in the values that we say you believe in.
1: Right. Well said. Uh, and so to get there... You as an individual really have no control over who you are. You are born the way you are. There's nothing you can do about it. You have certain traits. You have certain characteristics. You have certain animal instincts. You are who you are. And therefore, how you fit in this puzzle of a bunch of other people who are as they are, that's what gives your life meaning and what gives it power. And now, it abrogates you of all responsibility because you are the way you are either because of the way you were born or because of history or because of your ancestors but there's really nothing you can do about it and as with all lies and that is a lie there's some element of truth to it I mean, we're born with certain characteristics i mean we all have different personalities some people are born kind of grouchy some are just generally kind of
0: nice. <laughs> yeah, they really are. No, I know. I know the people you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, they're sort of born very grouchy. Yeah, the, you know,
1: the world needs
0: grouchy people,
1: <laughs> and the world needs friendly people, and the world needs generous people, and the world needs uh, laid back people, and super aggressive, you know, hyper ambitious people. And each one of us is born with some character traits. Uh, you know, even even the what the great Renaissance. Um, what was his name? Philosopher Pico. He said, like, look, look, a dog can't change who he is. You know, the character traits are with it from birth. But a human being, no, 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 we, we can change. Yes, you have traits, but unlike the dog, you can become something different. You can learn to be something better. Uh, you can mimic others to get there. Uh, you can willfully change your behavior uh, the more you do something, more you will become that. And as you do more of these things, as you change your thinking, the essence of you will change. Well, that's a much different mindset from one of you are who you are and, and we'll give you your identity based on how you link up with the rest of the collective. And so if you're shy, you force yourself to meet others. Uh, if you're mean, you force yourself to say kind words I mean, these are the kinds of things that if you look toward the people who support the individual, this is what they will tell you. And the way you get there is there's always a spiritual element. You know, I'm always going to go there is, you know, all right, we're going to try to emulate God. We're going to try to be better. We're not just going to always retreat to the base human instinct that we're animalistic and, oh, well, nothing you can do about it. Now, it, it's not just what you want to be, but kind of how you get there. And, and this is maybe a little bit of a problem at Wall Street. mean, we have these people saying, well, I'm obeying the law. Well, okay, obeying the law is a good thing. But if you're obeying the letter of the law, but your behavior is unethical, that, that, that's a problem.
0: Well, they, they obey the law, just to be clear. Wall Street obeys the law until they get caught. Right. And when they get caught, they settle. Right, Because they got enough money to pay off the people that caught them doing what they should have been doing. So there's never any letter of the law, almost, for those people.
1: No, and that's another issue we're going to have as we head toward the Supreme Court thing. I think most of your listeners know that the country is heading toward a time of turmoil. And so do you want to go into that time of turmoil with a group of people in leadership who support the rule of law? Or do you want to go into this time of trial with a group of people who support what they say the law is at any given moment? And that's going to be another dividing line I'd ask you to look at as you go listen to these confirmation hearings. But you're right about Wall Street. We just saw it this last week. Let's see, it was J.P. Morgan had to pay almost a $1 billion fine for manipulation of the precious metals markets. Well, OK, what they didn't say in the press release was you know, okay, how much money did you guys make on the manipulation of these markets? And if you made $20 billion and you paid a $1 billion fine, that's just the cost of doing business. Meanwhile, they're touting this is the biggest fine in history. Well, okay, that's true, but it's only half the story. What was the other half? How much did they make? And on this billion-dollar fine, is the money going to the who, people who were wronged or is it just going into government coffers? And so this is the kind of thing that, again, you'll see in a totalitarian system where rules and laws are bent to support the power of the state because this rationalization goes on in their heads that, oh, but we're fighting some unseen enemy or enemy that we've defined. And therefore, we have to do these things to achieve this utopia. And if we do these certain things, yes, we will eventually get there. And of course, it's all flim flam. So anyway, where am I going with this is there is a spiritual component to this where you have to decide who you are as an individual. And that is the power that you have over the state. Once you understand that you as an individual have the power to change who you are, become better and that your identity, your worth is not tied to what the state tells you, then you have a chance. And, and uh, maybe the great example of this actually comes from a kind of a silly but kind of a fun movie. Uh, do, you, do you remember the movie Evan Almighty?
0: Uh, I think I watched it. I can't remember. I know the scenes. I'm very familiar. Morgan Freeman and yeah. then, um, Jim
1: Carrey. Steve, Steve, Ker- Steve oh, Carell Steve Steve is Evan. <laughs> And he's just a regular Joe. And God comes to him and says, I want you to build an ark. And, you know, next thing you know, his his beard is growing. He's wearing a robe. And he's out there with these animals <laughs> building an ark. Of course, his wife, I think Lauren Graham, I think plays his wife. You know, she just thinks he's nuts. And she ends up at some point in the movie, scooping him up and taking the kids away. And, you know, she's at a diner. And there's Morgan Freeman, who's God. And, he and she get into this conversation, and he says, well, what do, you, what do you want? She says, well, I just wanted my family to be close. And I actually pulled the line up from the movie, but he says to her, well, let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience, or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? Uh, if he prayed for courage, does God give him courage, or does he give him opportunities to be courageous? And if someone prayed for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them opportunities to love each other? And that's kind of the end of the quote. And, of course, that hits her hard and she goes back and helps make the ark. And, of course, heaven almighty saves the day when the dam breaks. Anyway, that little line from the movie actually is about how you overcome statism. The idea is, how do you walk in God's ways? The left says you can't do it. You have to worship at the altar of the state. But ultimately, worshiping at the altar of the state will lead you to two ends. It will lead you to death and control. So again, view the hearings through that lens. What are they talking about? Must you cede more power to the state for this utopian vision to be manifest. And how does that always end? And it's always ended this way throughout history. It will end with merciless control and finally death. Or are you going to understand an individual's rights and responsibilities and connections and importance during the short time on earth that we have? And in that case, you'll actually end up bowing to an almighty God and you will emulate those ways, which are always toward life and liberty. And so this is, what the, this is what the framers understood. And yes, I understand that there were deists. Yes, I understand that they weren't all in line the same way. They didn't want religious totalitarianism. But they understood the overarching issue was the power of the individual versus the power of the state. And they sided with the power of the individual. And so this is what's coming up. This is coming up over the next few weeks, and this is what the election is all about. If you really distill it down to why are you voting the way you're voting, if you are in the statist camp, look, it's all about governments, all about the state, we, they will get us to our utopia, you're on the left. If, however, you're more for the individual rights, you're going to say, no, 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 I'm not going to bow to that god.
0: So we truly are at a 4-4. This is why this uh, confirmation is so important. As you put it, we need to do this immediately. And uh, yeah. that tells us exactly where you're at, because uh, you're almost saying that John Roberts is uh, on the left, and he is the uh, Chief Justice. And, He's a statist. Yeah, he is an absolute statist. So there you go. Greg Zanetti, thank you for being here. Uh, as We're fighting the politicalization of everything that's happening here in this world. Uh, and it, right? that has transpired uh, and invaded uh, where we can find no joy. Whether it's in commerce, commercial, uh, or sport, uh, we seemingly are putting it all as we we found that great word, Zeitgeist, and I would recommend (laughs) that everybody go and watch that. Right. Um, You should definitely uh, go and see it. There's a two-part series for it called uh, Zeitgeist. Thank you for being here, Greg. How can people get a hold of you? Oh,
1: My number, 250-3754, or go to my website at zanettifinancial.com.
0: That easy, folks. Thanks, Thanks, everybody, for being here in the Kiva. Have a great weekend. See you tomorrow bright and early, 10 a.m. Saturday morning on AM 1600 KIVA 93.7 FM. The web, the app, rockoftalk.com. That's rockoftalk.com. Download the app. Get the brand new News ABQ app that's coming out on Monday.